Well, good morning, church family. I want to welcome you to worship this morning. And as you know, looking at the calendar, today is a special day for fathers because today is Father's Day. And I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge all the fathers that are joining us this morning. And if you're listening over the internet and you want to stand too, you're more than welcome to. But any of the fathers that we have with us this morning, uh, would you mind standing? All right, well, happy Father's Day. All right, thank you. Well, today we're actually going to have a special sermon, actually titled Four Practices of a Godly Father. But before we actually take a look at this, I want you to know as we get through each one of these practices that these are a, a set of biblical practices that can be applied to each and every believer. So if you're not a father here t- today, don't feel as though you can uh, sit there and take a nap or tune out because it's a, a four practices of a godly father uh, because there's an application for each and every one of us, whether you're a father or not, whether you're male or female, young or old. Uh, there is some things that we can learn from this all together. Well, before we take and open up the Word of God together and we take a look at Genesis chapter 48, let's go ahead and, and bow for a, a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, and Lord, as we have uh, taken time to sing this morning about the wonderful words of life, which is your timeless, eternal word, which came in full form at your Son, Jesus Christ, as he took on flesh, uh, as Emmanuel, God with us, as the Word incarnate. Lord, we do thank you for that truth, and as we open up uh, this section of your Word this morning, Lord, I ask that these principles, uh, these practices that we're going to take a look at would change each and every one of us. And we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory, and we'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 48. Um, because we are going to take a look at a few of the verses in here. We take four practices out of this chapter of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Uh, and I'd like to uh, begin by taking a look at uh, Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. And it says there, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long, to this day. So this testimony here that uh, Jacob is bringing forth is an actual walking commentary of his entire life. As we, we think about the first practice in here, I'd like to point out that a godly father has God as his shepherd. You'll notice there that as he speaks to his father, Isaac, as well as his grandfather, Abraham, he spoke in relation to how God called them and how God blessed them as the one who was their shepherd. He says, the God who has been. So he's experienced it firsthand. Uh, This is something that has been characteristic of his life experience, that God has been, and you'll notice the words, my shepherd. It's, It's personal. There's a relationship there. And as we we talk about even putting our faith and trust in Christ, we talk about the relationship that we have, that it's personal, that God is not removed from us, that he is not a a God that is far from from any one of us, actually. And uh, as he he speaks to me, he says, he has been my shepherd all my life long. And, you know, again, giving testimony to his entire life. But then you'll notice he tacks on that, those few extra words there, to this day. So there hasn't been a day 
where God has not been Jacob's shepherd. Now, it doesn't mean that he always saw God as his shepherd, but the truth is, is that God is who God is, that he remains consistent. And as the one who is that great shepherd, Jacob could give testimony to the fact that not only had God called him as his father uh, and his grandfather before him and blessed them, that he also saved him throughout his life from all kinds of evil, but also helped him as he struggled through the things and the choices that he made. See, this is a testimony of God's grace and faithfulness in his life. He doesn't recall as he's sitting here talking to his son and and in a moment speaking to his grandsons about God. He's not pointing out, well, this was what I did. This is who I am. Instead, he points his son and his grandsons to the one who has been his shepherd all his life long, even up until that very day. And it reminds me of a text that we all know. And I'm going to have you keep your finger here in Genesis 48 and flip over to Psalm 23 so that you can be reminded of what the shepherd is like and what the shepherd does. Psalm 23, which maybe most of you have memorized. And sometimes when we memorize things, they can become just rote memory. Uh, And this is something that even myself, as I think about God as my shepherd, to say that he's been my shepherd my whole life, even up to this day, I need to be reminded of what the shepherd does. Because we have a tendency, maybe because of personality, maybe because of the job we have uh, or the, the things that keep pouring into our lives, we only see all those things which seem as though they're negative and, and are seeking to pull us down, whereas the, the shepherd does some pretty amazing things as he leads. And I'd like to go ahead and just read this short psalm and pay close attention to the words. Listen to what the Lord, who is my shepherd, does. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you catch all of that? See, the great shepherd actually leads and is with us. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us to still waters. So everything that would put our minds at ease and give us peace and take care of everything that we we desire and our bodies need on any given day. The sustenance, green pastures, is food. Not only food for the physical body, but food for the physical or for the spiritual soul. Still waters, giving us the the thirst uh, quenching power of the very word of God as the shepherd leads us not to a raging water, but to a still water where we can take in deeply, where we have the protection to drink. He leads us in paths of righteousness as the world seeks to pull us to all that which is unrighteousness. 
and even through the valley of the shadow of death. And we know life is full of mountain peak experiences as well as those that are the valleys below. But notice that the shepherd is still with his sheep because the Lord is my shepherd. But the great shepherd also gives the best. Did you notice there in Psalm 23 that he restores, that he disciplines, that he anoints, that he gives us fullness to the point where our cup overflows? He gives us goodness and he is merciful. See, the good shepherd does and gives and uh, puts forth before each one of those who belong to him everything that they need throughout the entire length of their lives, no matter how many days up until the very day that God takes them home. But the great shepherd also brings us home so that we can dwell with him forever. So fathers, as I'm talking to you this morning, do you, and I'll put myself in there, do we listen to the great shepherd like we should? Do we listen to the great shepherd like we should? Because the shepherd's always there. The question is, is whether or not we're, we're listening to him. Do we show our families the great shepherd? Do we live as those who have been redeemed? Do we live and give testimony to our own merit? Or do we give personal testimony to the, the God who is our shepherd? And third, do we bring our families to the great shepherd? Because one thing for him to be your shepherd, personally, but the fact is, as those who are fathers, we have the opportunity to bring our families to the great shepherd, to show them that he has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Yes, there's been days that have been difficult. There's days that I've stumbled and, and fall, fallen. Get the right tense there. But yet, the shepherd still is right there to pick me up and to guide me, to use his rod and his staff to comfort me. See, like Jacob did at the end of his life, we have the opportunity to do today. So don't wait. Don't wait until it is your last day to show your children your shepherd. And part of that is that he has to be your shepherd first before you can show him as the great shepherd to someone else. And for everyone else who is listening here today who's not a, a uh, father, everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who is saving faith through Jesus Christ, should look to the great shepherd. Because he's not just the shepherd of fathers. He is the shepherd of all those who belong to him. And so uh, for each and every one of us here today, don't forget to look to the shepherd. We'll turn back to Genesis chapter 48 because there's a second practice of a godly father that we can take a look at. And I, I encourage you to look there at verses 8, 9, and 10. Because a godly father blesses his family. It says, When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Now this is an important point here, 
Because as you know, if you read the book of Genesis, you know that Joseph was not treated very well by his brothers. Matter of fact, he was sold into slavery and he found himself in many difficult situations. But as you take a look at Joseph's life, as he's even teaching his brothers after his father dies of the importance that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Uh, And that is someone who sees God as their shepherd, that no matter how good, and I'll put good in quotes, things are, or how bad things are, the shepherd is still with his sheep. And see, Ephraim and Manasseh were literally adopted into the family at the very highest level. Because as, as Joseph is bringing them to Jacob, he actually makes them sons of Israel. And if you look back at verse 5 in chapter 48, it says, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Well, Reuben and Simeon are the first and second born. You know, as the, 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 the I guess, the oldest of the, the family, the ones that the inheritance would typically go to. And so he is saying, just as my first and second born sons, I am taking in, I am adopting as sons of Israel, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, even though I am now just getting the opportunity to meet them. So what are some ways that we can bless our families? Because that's a good question as we take a look at Jacob's example of blessing his, his, uh, not only his son Joseph, who he had been away from for many years, by blessing Joseph's children, or Jacob's grandchildren, his grandsons. Well, there's, I think, two ways that we can point out this morning. One, a way a godly father blesses his family is by what we say. Uh, And I appeal to a, a couple passages here, because we need to understand that as we talk, as fathers engage their children, whether they're sons or daughters, whether they are adopted sons or daughters, uh, whether they are our granddaughters uh, or our grandsons or our great-grandsons or our great-granddaughters, words can build up or tear down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Fathers, I'm speaking you, to you today. Because your words have the ability to do one of two things, to build up or to tear down. So how do you reflect the one who is your shepherd, your savior, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren? What do you say? How do you live? What comes out of your mouth on any given day? Whether the situation is good or the situation is bad. Because oftentimes when things are going good, it's easy to speak good. The question is, is when everything falls apart, what do you say? What do your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids see? But words can also motivate and discourage. Or I should say motivate or discourage. So how we say what we say can affect either positively or negatively. I appeal to Proverbs 17:27, where it says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So be careful 
even when you know what you're communicating is the truth, because how you communicate that truth can make all the difference. Because how you say what you say will have an impact. Because it will either motivate your children, your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren, or it will discourage them. Because that truth will uh, do the very opposite of what you want it to do. That doesn't mean that God won't work around and use his truth to accomplish his good purposes, even when we fail to speak the way we should. But there's a blessing that's missed when we don't speak like we should. So we can bless our families by what we say, but we can also bless our families in how we act. See, loving our families with an unconditional love, accepting them even when they may not be honoring God, which can happen. You can point your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to the truth. You can communicate the truth in love and have them not honor God in their lives. But that doesn't mean that we should stop doing and living and showing and giving testimony to the God who is our shepherd. To bless our families even when they are not living the way they should being those who are actually there for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and not being absentee fathers. And for everybody else here that's not a father, we have, uh, as believers, the opportunity to bless others through what we say and how we say it. And so as we think about this practice of a godly father, there is also a principle here for those that are believers in Jesus Christ to watch what we say to make sure that we say it in the right way. Well, there's a third practice of a godly father. This comes out of verse 7 of chapter 48. It says there, As for me, when I came to Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Now, as you take a look, you know in the book of Genesis that there's no question in anyone's mind that Jacob loved Rachel deeply. So much so that as he's preparing to bless his grandsons and as he, in the presence of, of his son Joseph, he speaks of Rachel. And I think this gives testimony to the fact that in his love for Rachel, that he is communicating something to his son and his grandsons, uh, and for that to go down in each generation. And the thing is, it reminds me of, of what it tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So a godly father loves his wife, as Christ loves the church. Well, how much did Christ love the church? He loved the church so much. He loved those whom he came to save so much that he gave his life. See, this is an, a love that is unconditional, that's absolute, that's tireless, that's steadfast and sacrificial. And when we as men in our families, in our homes, live in such a way where we love our wives as we should, then this is a blessing upon our children. It speaks to them in ways that uh, the world cannot. 
You know, we live in a day and age where marriage is uh, an old institution that should be done away with. That we should instead, you know, take and have all the benefits of what God gave in relation to the marriage bed at our disposal because we are people that have a choice to enjoy what the world has to offer. Removing God from the equation. And what kind of effect does that have? It's not a positive one at all. Matter of fact, it causes all kinds of things to happen within the homes of of people. Because there's no commitment there. And matter of fact, marriage is even looked upon as something that is basically, you know, you keep it as long as you want it, and when you don't like it or you can't figure out how to get beyond the selfishness that you yourself may have or your spouse may have, then you just dissolve it. Do away with it. See, when we love the way we should, men as those that love our wives as Christ loved the church, it's a blessing upon our children and it provides for them security and stability for them and it will give them an example of what true love looks like. That true love is unconditional. That it is absolute, that it is tireless, even on the long days, even when there is a disagreement. That it's steadfast, that it sacrifices, that it doesn't always seek its own. Matter of fact, it seeks the, the, uh, for the spouse, for the wife or the other direction, for the, the wife towards the husband in such a way that they love like Christ loves the church. And it gives our children a, an example of what true love looks like. Is marriage easy? No. Is it worth fighting for? Yes. Do I love my wife more today than I did the day I married her? Yes, I do. And we've been on the mountaintop and we've been in the valley below. Sometimes, because of my pig-headedness, and I won't speak to the other side. Because I'm a wise man. But honestly, I can say pretty assuredly that most of the time it's my fault. And the, and the, the level at which God says, love Michelle as Christ loved me and gave himself up for me, seems like an impossible goal. But when God's at the center, and just with the confidence that Jacob said that God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, is not just speaking to his own personal experience, it is, but it's also speaking to his personal experience in relation to being a father and to being a husband uh, and to love Rachel in such a way that he need to make mention that Rachel had died and that he had to bury her in Bethlehem. See, the most important thing that a father can do for his children is love their mother. Let me say that again. The most important thing a father can do for his children is love their mother. Because when our children see examples of godly marriages, they're not perfect marriages, but they seek to do and to obey and to be sacrificial, and they work through tirelessly 
all the obstacles that come, all the stumbling blocks, all the things that come to tear apart what God meant to keep together, that with God's power, we can love like we should. And for every other believer that's listening here in relation to a godly father loving his wife, every believer has the opportunity to show love one for another. And we won't take the time, but you know the word of God speaks to that in multiple places, reminding us of the importance of loving like God loves. There's one last practice that I want to share with you here in Genesis chapter 48. And it takes us to verse 21. It says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. The final practice that I want to share with you today, uh, fathers, is that a godly father passes the torch. He says, Behold, I am about to die. See, this is Jacob, who is the final of the three great patriarchs, who's getting ready to go home to be with the God he loves, the God who has been his shepherd all his life long to this day, until the very day that God took him home. See, when uh, uh, no doubt that Abraham, as he talked to his son Isaac, who talked to his son Jacob, and as Jacob is talking to his son Joseph in the presence of his his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, that he is saying something that's very important because he's, he is about to die. And the thing that we can take from this as we're, we're looking at this is that God always has his remnant to pass the truth on to. And we as fathers, as those who are held accountable as the, the, the head of our homes, to lead and to guide, to be the one who has God as our shepherd, who blesses our family, who loves our wives, we have the importance of passing the truth of God to the next generation. Behold, I am about to die. And what does he tell them? He doesn't give them five things to be, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Instead, what he does is he reminds his son and his grandsons that God will be with you. The same God who is my shepherd, who has been with me my whole life long, even until this day. See, he's given them a hope for the future. And that hope is based on the fact that God does not change. It's the same God that he loves, that he experienced firsthand throughout his entire life. The same God who his father, Isaac, experienced through his entire life. The same God who, through his father, Abraham experienced all of his life as he called him out for God to bless him as one of those three great patriarchs. He says, I want you to have the same hope that I had, that my father gave to me and my grandfather gave to my father, is that you can trust God and that God as the great shepherd will be with you forever. I want to take you to three passages here in the book of Genesis because this declaration is very important. Because first and foremost, uh, God's declaration to Jacob uh, when he was done in Genesis chapter 28 verse 15 says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
So what Jacob wanted his son to know, his grandsons to know, is that you can always trust God to keep his promises, that he will do exactly what he said, that you are going to go to the land that has been promised to us, that even though I may not be here physically, the God who has been with me each and every day of my life will be with you as well. Second is in Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. Four and five, uh, but two things come out of this is that God affirms Jacob by stating his unchanging nature. He says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers uh, and to your kindred, I will be with you. Promise made to Jacob, but also a promise that transcends to the next generation that God will be with the ones who Jacob has blessed, his son and his grandsons. And third, it comes out of verses 4 and 5. It says, So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. Notice this phrase, But the God of my father has been with me. So even though Rachel and Leah's father did not regard Jacob with favor, notice what he says. He says, the God of my father. So who's the God of, of his father? Well, his father is Isaac. And it's the same God who gave the promises, who said, I will fulfill them, that I will do this. That he is the same God who purposes things and will do them. So he'd experienced God's presence, his provision, and his protection through his whole life. And saw that even though he may have failed God from time to time, that God never failed him. And that's something that, uh, as we fathers have the importance of keeping our homes together, to be that example to our children, and then to our grandchildren, and then to our great-grandchildren, so that from generation to generation, the world may know who God is. To have a passionate love for God and His ways, passing that torch on with confidence, knowing the God who is I am. And for every other believer here this morning that's not a father, you have the privilege as well to pass on God's truth to the next generation because they need to know. Because when the world is devoid of who the true one and only God is, you can look right now in our country and see the ramifications of that. As clear as day, when man removes God, from his thinking, from his actions, it affects everything. There is no reason, there is no logic in the actions of man when he is given in to his sinful self and lives in that to its fullness. And I want you to know this, that right now, the Spirit is even withholding the magnitude of what sin can do. Because if the Spirit of God was not here, if the Spirit of God was not in each and every believer here, then there is untold sinful actions that can happen. And we're seeing that even in our world today. We're seeing that right in our country. Where even people that say that they are you know, for people's lives end up taking them because they have no idea how precious that life is because it is someone created in the image of God. That God wove 
and formed in their mother's womb. It's not chance. It's not biology. It's the creator of all things creating. And so, fathers and the rest of our church family that's listening, remember that we should all look to the great shepherd, that we should be a blessing to others by what we say and what we do and how we say it. That we as believers have the opportunity to love one another as Christ has loved us. And finally, we have the privilege of passing on God's truth to the next generation. May we be a generation, no matter how big it may be, it may be just the simple people right here in this room, but if we're faithful with the truth that God has given to us and let God do what God does, then we know we've done right by God and we've done right by ourselves and we've done right by our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And we can give testimony to God just like Jacob did and be able to say, no matter what day it is, whether it is, as I experienced last week, 50 years, because I turned the big 5-0 last week, that the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day is the same God I put my faith and trust in 45 years ago. He has never failed me. He has never misled me. He has always guided me. We'll do the same thing for each and every one of you as you trust him. And particularly to fathers today, I challenge you. Do not be the statistic. Do not be a reflection of the world, but instead reflect the one who is your shepherd. Because our children need to see it. Because there's a whole generation devoid of God growing up that do not respect any type of law or order or discipline because God was removed. So therein lies the challenge for each and every father here today. And don't let the past dictate where you go. Because maybe you haven't done it up until now. But God can do amazing things when we, we give him the glory, and we go to him to seek and to do as we should. Would you bow with me for a closing word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the example of Jacob here in uh, Genesis chapter 48. Uh, Lord, as we look at his life, we know, just like us, that he was not a perfect man, that he was still a sinner who put his faith and trust in you, that as he is ready to present a blessing on his son and his grandsons, Lord, that he was able to give testimony to you as the one who had been his shepherd through his whole life, even up until that day that he was talking to them. And then as a testimony to you as the one true God, that you are faithful, that you are true, that you are consistent, that you do not change, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, able to guide and direct in every aspect of our lives so that we can be those examples, that we can live as you've called us to live, even in a generation of wickedness, and do so all for your glory and your praise and your honor. 
And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.